You take your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This uh, past weekend I was at a men's retreat and I had to speak at a, a men's retreat. It was kind of strange because most of the men I never met before and the first time I got up I could just see him sitting there like this, looking at me, saying who, you could see it. You know, a lot of the guys had these grizzly beards and it's supposed to be kind of a tough men's conference and I knew they were just kind of scrutinizing me. Who is this guy looking at me like that? You know, and one guy came up to me after my message, and he goes, how old are you? I said, I'm 50. He goes, you are not. You are not. I said, I am. I'm telling you, I am. I don't believe it. I just, I don't believe it. You're just trying, you're trying to pull one over. I said, I'm, I'm not. And as he walked away, I, I felt this, uh, I, it's kind of what Paul went up, when Paul was up here kind of talking about this looks, I felt this, like, little boy inadequacy. And I realize it's because I'm the youngest of six kids. I've always kind of carried this around. If you're the youngest of a big family, you're always the little brother. You're always the little fella. You're always mommy's favorite. But as the little kid, you never got to really be included in the cool stuff. I remember summers. Man, I remember, you know how summer, the, the sun goes down later in the day, and I remember one time, you know, the sun's going down about 9 o'clock, and I had to go to bed, and I hear all my brothers and sisters playing capture the flag in the backyard, and I try to sneak out in my Buffalo Bills pajamas. I don't know why, well, I like Buffalo Bills because O.J. Simpson. My dad would say, Chris, what are you doing out of bed? Get back to bed. But, Dad, I want to play. I want to play. I just can't remember that, you know, I want to play. I can remember, too, like my sister Tammy. Tammy was always, she was always the older, cool sister. She'd have sleepover parties, and then they'd watch scary movies, night shadows downstairs. I'd try to sneak out and watch it. My sister would go, Dad, get Chris out of here. He's too young for this. Too young. Oh, that bothered me. Still bothers me to this day. That little kid in me really, oh, I hate it. I hate it. Or when, uh, you know, the grandparents come over and my mom and dad are, they decide to play cards. I can remember the big card game for them was Pinochle. I, I didn't even know how to spell it. And I said, what do you, how do you play this game? Oh, it's too complicated. So go play fish with your sister at the little kid's table. You know, there's that little kid stuff. Today, Jesus is going to refer to his followers as Little infants, little children. But it's going to be strange because he's going to speak about it in a very positive way, which is unique because when I hear of little kids, it sort of, to me, communicates you're insignificant, you're not really wanted, and you don't really have that much to give. And Jesus is going to say just the opposite. And so that's really the title for our message this, this morning is, we're just a kid. Just a kid? I have nothing to give? And what it's going to see is, yes, we're just a kid. But that's a good thing. So Paul, your baby face is a good thing. Hang in there. And so we're going to read where I get this from. Open up to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him 
two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs, little lambs, tiny little lambs, in the midst of ravaging wolves. Doesn't say it like that, but that's my version. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in a judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Jesus says nice things, doesn't he? Man, he's harsh sometimes. Verse 16, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. So I'm really jumping off of verse 21, but before we get to verse 21, let me just give you some context. If you remember a couple weeks ago, this sounds... Vaguely familiar. In chapter 9, he sent out the apostles two by two. Told them not to take bags, not to take swords. Told them if a house accepts them, stay there. If they reject you, wipe the dust off your feet. Now he's sending out 72, sort of like in a subsequent same mission. Some scholars are like, why 72? You know, first they have the apostles representing the body of Christ or the followers of Christ. Now you have 72 which represent disciples that are to be sent out to all the world. 72 a lot of scholars say is reflective of Genesis 10. All of the nations of the world come out of Noah and there's 72 different tribes. I don't know if that's the purpose but that's what most scholars would say. But regardless this is a subsequent same kind of sending that happened in chapter 9. And it continues on in the book of Acts, believe it or not, when the church anoints people, sends them out two by two to go declare the gospel. So this is Jesus' training period for his mission work, getting people ready before he leaves. He gives them his authority. 
He tells them not to take anything. And he tells them to heal. Same thing happened in chapter 9. He defines them, however, in verse 3, the way he sees them is lambs in the midst of wolves. They're vulnerable. And the world's dark. It's dangerous. And then in verse 21, he says this. This is an amazing statement. He says, in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So he's thanking God that, in a sense, his followers are rather innocent little lambs, and that they were the ones that received these incredible things while those who were adults, wise, understanding, worldly, knowledgeable, they were blind to it. And in a way, this causes him to be excited that the little children should receive this. When I hear little children, I'm like, man, so we're insignificant. We're not that powerful. We're weak. We're little lambs. In a way, yeah, we are. However, and this is, as we look at this, if he's calling his followers little lambs, little children, I'm going to tell you that even though you're a kid, there's some amazing things that happen being a little child. Number one, you may be just a kid. Some of you out there might feel like you're insignificant. Some of you out there might feel like me where I don't have much to give, truthfully. You may be just a little kid, but according to this passage, you represent the king. Listen to verse 16. Let verse 16 soak into you. This is truthfully overwhelming. Jesus is talking about His followers. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who (laughs) rejects you, rejects me. One who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now some of you are probably saying, yeah, but this is to the disciples at that time who he sent out. This isn't to us. This this doesn't mean when we go and we share the gospel that really it's Christ speaking through us. Really? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is written to us. 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 20. This this is the section of reconciliation. Reconciliation means the world is at odds with God. And God has broken down this, this wall of hostility. And he has offered a handshake of peace through his son. He said through Christ he's reconciling the world to himself. And then so... When we get to verse 18, it says all of this, meaning this reconciliation, this new offering of new things, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry means we have the service of offering peace. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, listen to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So in other words, the one who hears you offering peace, here's Jesus. The one who rejects your offer of peace, rejects Jesus. Do you know how heavy that is? I think sometimes we don't really even think we have much to say. Does the Spirit of God live in you? Yes. So when you speak the Gospel, you are representing His Son with the power of His Spirit. If you don't believe me, I believe all of us need to realize we're carrying, we, it's almost like we need to see we're carrying around a badge. And I'm going to call it the badge of 1 Corinthians 4.1. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.1. And Paul is talking about the role of really the, the apostles, but, but also us. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I think the NIV says the deep, the secrets of God, the deep things of God. We are stewards. We are responsible for the mysteries. Some of those mysteries is Christ understanding what it means that Christ is in you, what the church's responsibility is. But we are responsible for the mysteries. And here's the reason why. Because number one, if we go back to Luke 10, the first reason why is because we are given inside information of these mysteries. God gives them to us. 10, verses 21 to 24, when Jesus rejoices, he rejoices because we, being the little children, received the hidden secrets of God. In that same hour, verse 21, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, from the proud, people who would really think there's something because they've got, they got the info. you hidden it from them. And you revealed it to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So what he's saying is Jesus is choosing to reveal Himself to you, and you are the only one given this inside information. Verse 23, then turning to the disciples, he said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see. And they didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, and they didn't hear it. So what he's saying, the knowledge that you guys hear and understand, even the unfolding of the scriptures, is such a privilege that David, Isaiah, Moses would long to know what you know. They would long to know what you know. Why do we yawn at the scriptures so much? Why do we say they're such a burden? They're so boring. They are the deep mysteries of God, and you get to know it. 
Maybe it's because we don't cherish deep mysteries like we should. So the first reason is God gives us inside information all the time. And, and you can basically confirm this all through the epistles. Even Peter says the angels long to look upon the things you know. They're, they're confused. They, and you get it, and they don't. But not only, not only that, not only do we have inside information, but watch this. This is kind of scary. With this information, we have, they are the keys to unlock heaven. And I would even say, with this information we share, sometimes they are shackles that send people to hell, depending on how they receive it. So what you give, the word you give, people are accountable for. Listen to what Jesus says, starting in verse 5. He's talking to the disciples who are sent out two by two. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. So you offer peace. You offer the message of reconciliation. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. So if somebody receives your peace, God's peace enters with you. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. In other words, he doesn't want this to be where you're receiving money, now I got enough from them, I'm going to... This is a ministry for Christ of the gospel, not... You're not trying to get rich on this. What's very interesting is verse 8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. They're sent to Gentiles. They're sent to... Gen, Jews are being sent to Gentiles, and they're supposed to eat whatever's sent before them. A lot of scholars say this predates even when Peter in Acts was told to eat whatever you see, eat it. The idea is that the message is more important than... The, the Levitical codes of kosher laws. Anyhow, I'm not going to get into that. I just want to make this main point. Watch, he keeps saying, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Why has the kingdom of God come near you? Because the messenger. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even a dustier town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, we know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. He keeps saying that. The kingdom of God has come near because of the message of the disciple. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So he is saying, if somebody hears the gospel and they do not receive it, they're going to be judged more severely than Sodom and Gomorrah, who had sulfur and ashes thrown down. That's how important your message is. So when somebody faces Christ at the last day, I never knew. Well, wait a minute. That person from Kent City Baptist shared with you the gospel. They brought you to, they heard, you heard the gospel. You didn't receive it. Well, that person's not that significant in the town. I didn't think I needed to listen to him. That was that kid that preaches up there at Kent City Baptist. He thinks he's 50. He looks like he's 20. He's got that deacon that looks 12. I don't need to listen to those guys. What, what, are they, what does that mean? Look at verse 13. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Those are places Jesus himself visited, and he's saying, whoa. Why? Because they had his witness. For if the mighty work's done, and you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, some Gentile towns, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. 
but it will be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Even though Tyre and Sidon doesn't necessarily, they aren't saved, they didn't hear the message as clearly as those who saw the witness of Christ. Therefore, they will be judged more strictly. Are there levels of hell? I think so. There's, he's comparing measurement of judgment. Verse 15, in you, Capernaum, and Capernaum is the city, the town, right on Galilee, where Jesus did a majority of his healings. Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Man, that's hard. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That's serious. And I, I know a lot of you think, but that's not referring to us, to these disciples. Wait, you are the ambassadors of Christ. It goes on to say, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's serious. So the second thing, so if you're a kid, if you think that's insignificant, you still represent the king regardless if you think you're worthy or not. You represent the king. I would say act like it. Second thing, you may be just a kid. I think this one's cool. You may be just a kid, but you are impervious when Jesus protects you. Look at verse um, 18 and 19. Actually, 17 and 18, Jesus is talking to the 72 because they're excited. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, well, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There's a lot of discussion. What is he talking about? And a lot of people would say, this is referring earlier, way back before creation began, that Satan got proud. He looked upon his beauty, it says in Ezekiel, he got conceited, and Isaiah said he wanted to exalt himself above the throne of God, and God threw him out. And the implication is that Jesus, the creator of Satan, because he created everything that's visible and invisible, Jesus is not equal with Satan, he's superior. He threw him out. And the idea is that he fell like lightning, where he now moves to and fro across the earth trying to seduce people. That's what, that would be my main idea is that some people say, well, this is forward-looking when he's going to finally cast Satan into Hades. It could be that too. Either way, the, the principle is Satan ain't got nothing on Jesus. And if you are Jesus' servant, he ain't got nothing on you if Jesus doesn't want him to. That's why he said, behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Well, I don't, I'm not going to get to that yet. But he says, nothing shall hurt you. You're like, but again, this is really a specific dispensation for that time where he gave them special sanction to heal. In some sense, I agree with that. But I want you to look at 1 John 4 for a second. First John 4, 4. Peter, John. First Peter, first John. Chapter 4, verse 4. In 
look at the little description he uses in verse 4 of 1 John 4. He calls you little children. Little fella. Little buddy. You are from God. And have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Let me, let me just give you a, I, I did a thorough, I mean, this is a detailed, basically a capacity measurement scale. I've, I've done a lot of research, a lot of biblical research. I want to just kind of illustrate for you this comparative measurement. It's very accurate. First of all, we are little children, so this is us. Go ahead and hit it. There's us. Little child. Little guy. Little fella. Then, the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, this is what he looks like. So, comparatively, he'll tear us to pieces. He'll tear us to pieces. I should be in absolute abject fear of him. I should, I should be walking around my house with garlic and crucifixes. And uh, I got to... I got it when I turn out the lights, I gotta run and jump in bed. Boom, and put those, you know, the covers over me with the baseball bat in it, because he's gonna get me. Comparatively speaking, I understand that. But wait a minute, comparatively speaking, Satan to God? No chance. No chance. No chance. And I'm his son. Why do you think it says in James? Draw near to God, and Satan will flee. We, we make this big, like, we're going to fight against demons, and we're going to call out words, and we're going to bind him, and say loud words. Just draw near to God, Satan will flee, because he's got no chance. Just draw near to your dad. It's not complicated. That's a very thorough comparative analysis measurement scale. And I'm going to have, Matt, you're going to do a hologram rendering of that next week for me, where everybody online can see that visually, 3D. Like I would say, we, uh, all, of this, all of this is tremendously significant, because I think we, we view ourselves as very impotent little people, because we are, but we're children. We're protected. So if we go back to Luke, I have one more reason why not to fret if you think you're a little child. This, this is my favorite passage of this chapter. This is, this is one of those verses. I'm just going to read it, and I'm going to pause on it. I'm going to let you just let it sink in. So they were able to cast out demons and heal people. They were given the power of God. They were excited in verse 17, because they rejoiced, and they said, Lord, man, even the demons, they obeyed me. Woo! Like that. You, woo! You wouldn't believe it. I cast one demon out, and the guy jumped up, and he's healed. Whoa! Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. You can see Jesus kind of going, yeah. Nice. But can I tell you something? Verse 20. Uh, don't rejoice in this. I mean, it's great. No. 
Don't, you don't need to rejoice that the Spirit's a subject to you. But rejoice that uh, your names are written in heaven. That's what really matters. In other words, you may be just a kid, but you're in. You're in. You made it to the party. You're you're in the family. You are adopted. Your name will never be marked out of the book of life. You are going to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You are going to be a righteous man made perfect. Demons are going to be shaking when they see you. This is what really matters. It's funny. Um, one of the the you know I'm every once in a while I watch NBA and one of the coolest guys Derek Max loves him is LeBron James. He's the king. LeBron, LeBron James. He's the best basketball player in the world. Some people would say Seth Curry, but Talk to real analysts, they'll say it's LeBron James. LeBron James will often go to different basketball tournaments. He'll go to uh, camps. And he'll go to a lot of them where his son is there. People will line up to get his autograph. They'll take his jersey and they'll just want him to sign it. And they'll have waiting lines where they'll have guards that let one person through, another person through, and he'll sign their thing. But every once in a while, this kid comes shooting through the line and says, hey, Dad. The guards don't stop him. Sometimes he'll jump on him. The guards don't ever get mad, and LeBron will stop everything he does because it's his son. It's his son. His son doesn't need to brag that he has his dad's signature. The son doesn't need to brag that he has a jersey of his dad. The son doesn't really need to brag about anything. He's his son. He's his son. You're in. And because you're in, you are his son or his daughter. And when you realize that, things like signs, wonders, other things, they're all right. They're cool. It's nice. But you don't need to prove anything. You're his. You're in. Some people say, well, Chris, you're making too big a deal about being in. Heaven... Heaven's not that big a deal. Why? Well, scripture doesn't talk much about it. I love C.S. Lewis's quote. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis writes, Either there is a pie in the sky, either heaven is all it's cracked up to be, there, or there's not. If there's a pie in the sky, it's the greatest promise ever given. It is what we are striving for. It is everything. It is the end of a childhood's adventure. It's everything. C.S. Lewis says, It's either true and it's the greatest thing ever or it's not. If it's not, then what are we doing here? Well, getting help to make it through my day today, to get financial principles from Dave Ramsey so I can have a better investment portfolio so before I die, I can have a cabin. Oh, great. It's great, but you died. Two days from now is my my dad's 10th 
uh, anniversary of his death. It's been one of those weeks where you think a lot about him. If there's no pie in the sky, what a joke. Death is sick. It's gross. But if there is, we don't mourn like other people. We just don't. He goes on to say, then Christianity is false, for this doctrine is woven into the whole fabric. It's the whole thing. It's the whole ball of wax. We are waiting to see with our very own eyes our Savior. We are waiting to dwell with him forever. If there is, then this truth, like any other, must be faced. In other words, you can't just say, ah, whatever, go ahead and believe what you want to believe. Silly little fables. Wait till we see it. Are they going to be silly? I want to end by having you go to John chapter 1. I want to make it very simple. Don't need to be complex for children. John chapter 1. It talks about Jesus in chapter 1. In the beginning, he was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. It says everything was made by him. And then it says he came unto his own in verse 11. He came unto his Jewish people, but his own didn't really receive him. They didn't want him. But to all who did receive him, to all who receive him, who simply believe in his name. Little kids, it's not that complicated. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gives the right. That word right means authority, power. He gives the right to become children of God. A child of God. That's what I am. And that's enough. I'm free in that. So in a way, I could say it like this. We need to be able to rejoice more That's why I had some people wear your tennis shoes. It's okay to be a little kid sometimes because we're significant. It's funny. My my mom loved, when we went to church, she loved dressing us up. So she loved to give the same fabric from Joanne Fabrics and make my sisters all the same dresses, purses, bonnets, because they'd go to church in the summer. And they'd have a nice sunbonnet, and they'd all look the same. And then she would outfit my brother and I in white turtleneck shirts with this stupid blue blazer. I hated it. It was usually August. It was hot. We'd drive in our station wagon to church. I'd be in the back just scratching. I mean, I'd be sweating back there. It was back in the day when, you know, if you had air conditioning, it lasts three days, and then you've got to go to Goodyear, and they won't, they'll have your car for four weeks. So my dad said, ah, you... Just open the windows, you guys can take it. I'd be in that back, oh man, itching, I'd be so hot. And I'd get out right before we'd go to church, and I'd go up to my dad, and I'd say, Dad, can I take this jacket off? It's so hot. My dad would say, just wait a second. He'd wait for my mom to get his sister start walking into the church, and he'd go, Chris, come here. Grab that blazer, throw it in the car, and say, just walk behind me. So, man, I'd have that blazer off. We'd sit down in the pew. I can remember sitting down in the pew. So there's my sister, my mom, my dad, and me. And my mom would look over and like that. And my dad would go, sure, Brian. 
praying. That's my dad. My dad doesn't care about the expectations of meeting other people's expectations. All he wants me to be is a faithful, obedient, loving son. That's all he wants. He doesn't, he really doesn't care about a lot of things except for you being true to him. He doesn't care if you meet everybody's expectations. He doesn't care how powerful you are, how impressive you are, how much clout you have. You are his son. You are his daughter. You carry his name. And when you speak, people are responsible. That's huge. So if you've come in here, and I'm telling you, you feel insignificant like I do every other day, you've got to understand you represent the king. You represent the king. Find strength in that. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we love you. We oftentimes don't realize just how privileged and honored we are. And we complain a lot, I think. We get down in the dumps. We look at other people, what they have, what they own. We even look at our own abilities. We say we are, we're just failures. And what you tell us is you're little children. You're mine. And I rejoice that you understand the things that those wise other people don't get. That's his pleasure. So, Lord, help us all to be a pleasure to you. Help us to be true to your son. And thank you for this scripture. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.